Hello, everybody. This is the Lonely Guy, Steve Center, from the center of the known universe, Indianapolis, Indiana. You're listening to the Theories of Adulting podcast, the show that explores various theories of human motivation to explain the how, the what, and most importantly, the why of people's behavior. This podcast is for learners who love understanding people and why they do the strange things they do. Hello, another excellent episode of Theories of Adulting coming your way straight from Indianapolis, Indiana. I wanted to go back to true crime. I thought that might be a little fun. I found this obscure serial killer that not many people know about, Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's, I'm kidding. Of course, everybody knows who Jeffrey Dahmer is. They just put out a series about him. So what in the heck am I going to say? I'm not going to go into all the details because that has been done over and over and over. Uh, We know that Jeffrey came from a terrible home. We know that he brought men back to his home, that he killed them, apparently ate some of them, kept parts in the freezer. It's a horrific set of circumstances. I remember when Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested. I'm telling you, the average person could not believe that this was real. I assumed that the story was embellished. You know, Charles Manson had garnered a lot of attention And even though he was a bad guy and he was in prison, a lot of news people made a lot of money. A lot of documentary workers made money. The prosecutor wrote the book Helter Skelter, which just on an offshoot, if you haven't read it, it's really good. So my actual first thought when I heard about Jeffrey Dahmer was that it was being uh, exaggerated so that he could kind of become a celebrity. He wasn't like Charles Manson. He wasn't outgoing and... And in his own way, Charles Manson has a charm. Now, I don't find him charming, but he has a charm, and you definitely listen to him when he speaks, and and Jeffrey Dahmer just really wasn't like that, at least not when the cameras were on. And, of course, we know that he was murdered in prison. There's not really anything that I could add to the history of Jeffrey Dahmer or what the police did. There was the story of a young man who got away from Jeffrey Dahmer, but somehow Dahmer convinced the police to let him take him. So while I said that Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't charming like Charles Manson in front of the screen, he obviously had this superficial charm and was persuasive, and we don't want to discount that. I want to focus today on the mental illness of Jeffrey Dahmer. I found several articles reporting that he had borderline personality disorder. Now, I want to be very clear that most people with borderline personality disorder do not murder people and they do not eat people. And so I, it would not be accurate to say that his crimes were because of his personality disorder. However, person, a borderline personality disorder does have some very distinctive traits, which would in the right hands or I guess the wrong hands make them advantageous for somebody who wanted to hurt other people. The theory for today is not just the illness of borderline personality disorder, but personality disorders in general, where they come from and what their most prominent symptoms are, how we may have seen then those symptoms play out with someone like Dahmer. When you think about a personality disorder, I think it's worthwhile to spend a second or two and just really conceptualize what this is saying. Most disorders, we recognize there's a problem. Could be something like depression where they lack serotonin. 
could be something like panic disorder where they had something terrible happen and they're reacting by not leaving the home, but we can find the problem. The research and treatment of those disorders has gone into doing a better job of finding the problem, finding better ways to treat them. And I feel strongly, my career is an evidence that if you get someone on the right medication and they do it, they put a good faith effort into three months of therapy, you can see a tremendous amount of improvement. Different disorders have different cure rates and, and that's for another time. But because these disorders have a clear etiology outside of the person, it's pretty unusual. I mean, you might get somebody who says, you know, what I hear about a lot is ADHD. They don't want to acknowledge having ADHD, which we need to talk about that at some point because that's nonsense. ADHD has been much maligned. They don't want to admit to having it. They understand that it's something that's not them. And this, they understand that there's a reason why one has those disorders. Subsequently, most of the time, once someone acknowledges it, if they're willing to seek treatment, they're pretty good about following through. And the people who don't seek treatment are people who tend not to seek treatment for most things. I mean, I've got people that I'm very close to who refuse to go to the doctor because they're afraid they might find something, which is actually why they should go to the doctor. A personality disorder is saying that there is something wrong with that person's personality. The personality is defined as the behaviors and characteristics that make a person unique, that make you, you, or me, me. And the title personality disorder is saying that there's something broken within you, something broken within, I don't have a personality disorder, but if I did, it'd be within me that is defective. It's really quite a startling statement when you break it down to what it's actually saying. Now, there are a number of personality disorders, and most of them are disorders that clinicians very seldom see. Uh, the reason being, I think that those disorders, as a rule, don't generally lend themselves to getting people in the type of situations where they would end up in treatment. So the three that we see the most often are narcissistic personality disorder, and that'd be somebody like Madonna or Donald Trump, who believe the world revolves around them, and they kind of believe the, the BS they're spewing, so to speak. But I just picked two famous examples. That's not limited to them. Those people can end up in treatment because sometimes a job or a spouse, partner, whatever. I was in college. Bobby Knight was the head coach of the IU basketball program. And if you're too young to remember who Bobby Knight was, he was just a very famous basketball coach for the Indiana Hoosiers who was really known for having a volatile temper. And at one point he threw chairs across the floor and he was caught on camera putting his hands on students in practice. And so anyway, so he ended up getting fired and he was a good example. He ended up going to anger management, which is not a good treatment for people with narcissistic personality disorder. Regardless, the other two that we see most commonly, antisocial personality disorder, this is a very bad person, a very mean person who hurts people and enjoys it. And Charles Manson, Ted Bundy would be a good example, but so would various members of Congress. Uh, a great example of a movie that had antisocial personality disorder was American Psycho. They say that dumb people who have antisocial personality disorder end up in prisons. Smart people 
who are antisocial end up running corporations and law firms. In the last couple of years, the WWE went public. And I, I'm going to admit, I don't really necessarily know what all that means, but I do know that then they had a board of directors. And Vince said that he actually liked having a board of directors because before he did, he would end up doing things like if a wrestler got hurt, then Vince would feel pressured to take care of their health care if they could no longer wrestle. And now, because he was a part of a corporation, he didn't have that those feelings anymore. So the thing he was most excited about was that he didn't have to help people. <laughs> I mean, that is that is all you need to know. You don't need to know anything else about a person. If they're excited that they no longer have to be kind to people who are sick and injured, you can stop right there. Okay, well, borderline personality disorder is the third one that we see a lot. And people with borderline personality disorder, their situation is kind of hallmarked by very unstable relationships. We have to be really careful about who we label this with. For instance, every, and I guess I shouldn't say every teenager, but in the teenage years, having unstable relationships, friends with somebody, not friends with somebody, they're your best friend, now you hate them, that back and forth, that's really common. And we wouldn't want to label something that's common as pathology. However, we can label pathology when we see it. And what you get with somebody with borderline personality disorder is somebody who cannot maintain long-term stable relationships. It's outside of their ability. This is not a religious statement I'm about to make, but if we think of the person and their personality comprising the person's soul, the narcissistic person believes their soul is the very best <laughs> and the antisocial person does not have one. Whatever thing makes them a person, a human being isn't there. But the person with borderline personality disorder their soul is really shattered. Their sense of self is really shattered into pieces. They don't do a good job in long-term situations. Because you think about your friends, think about your partner, past boyfriends or girlfriends that you've had. And one of the things that makes relationships work, and again, not just romantic, but friendships, whatever relationships, is a certain amount of comfort in knowing how the other person's going to act. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to do everything the way you tell them to, and they don't have to do the same thing every time. And sometimes it's really refreshing when you have a friend who surprises you by doing something out of character. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm saying that generally speaking, most of us, if we're in friendships, uh, romantic or otherwise with people, there is a stability in knowing this is the behavior I can expect from them. And there's certainty in that. And then you get to choose whether or not the behavior is unacceptable. That's possible. You may decide, I might decide that I can't be friends with this person because comparing that to the borderline person who is much less stable, you know, I never know how they're going to react. They might one day be my best friend. The next day, they might be super mad at me. I don't know why. So that group, the borderline person, has a very difficult time maintaining relationships. And yet they have an internal, I think it is almost a defense mechanism. Like Freud, early psychology, would talk about defense mechanisms as these things people did to protect themselves from what they actually wanted. I visualize, I conceptualize these behaviors by people with this personality disorder as almost a type of defense mechanism. The first thing I will say is that the borderline person has usually has something we call superficial charm. Now that 
we think of the word charm as being really, really positive, and I would agree that most of the time it is. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes the superficial charm is, it's something that attracts people to that person. And sometimes what attracts people to the person is that they are super sad and they just need somebody to talk to. And gosh, won't you just listen to them? Now, other times it can be that they're angry. I, I'm always hesitant when I meet somebody new. Our beginning discussions start with them telling me how much they hate some group that they're a part of or some group they used to be a part of. Or, I mean, it's not like that necessarily equals personality disorder, but it's not super healthy to begin your conversations this way. Most people just have a filter that's, that tells them, I should get to know this person before I can tell them these things. Before I can tell this person these things that have hurt me or upset me, I need to know that they're a safe person to talk to. The borderline person does not typically have that. So you might meet somebody and you just, you just hit it off. You just really like them from the start. Now, see, that sounds great, right? <laughs> and most of my good friends are people who the first time I met them, we got along. So that in and of itself, not necessarily a warning sign. And then you don't know when you're around people who are borderline, who have borderline personality disorder, you don't know how stable and long-term the other relationships they have are. Because oftentimes my experience is that people who have this will almost collect friends like they do baseball cards and you know, they will know so many people. Well, it's great to know people and lots of people know lots of people, but you know, for a normal person who you'll know, just say like, Oh, I'm friends with everybody. Everybody, you know, that can be a warning sign. Again, we don't want to make something pathological. That's not okay. So they do a great job initiating friendships, but then as you get to know them, it becomes clear that, their relationships are almost all very short-term in nature. That is a warning sign. You get somebody who has a, a history of very brief relationships. Now, you know, I mean, brief is relative. You know, that doesn't mean that every week they're getting a whole new slew of friends. But what, what's happening is that the person tends to burn out their friendship. They ask so much and make so many demands that they become really difficult to frankly, to even want to be around. And I, one time, there was this old lady that went to our church and I got assigned to do some service for her. She was old and I was mowing her lawn and it was a huge lawn and I you know, did some other things. And I found out as we were going along that she would get people mostly from church, but not exclusively to come over and she'd kind of give them this pity talk and they would kind of take care of her and they'd really help her out. But then after a little while and not very long, she would burn them out. And then once she burned them out, she would really turn nasty on them. For instance, she told the people I went to church with that I had been stealing from her. And in fact, our bishop, who is equivalent of a pastor, pulled me aside and he said, hey, you just need to know this is being said. And of course, I'm dumb. And I go, no, I'm not doing anything like that. But he wasn't accusing me. He was warning me. <laughs> I was too, I was too, I guess, naive to realize that's what was happening. But she was telling people that I was stealing from her. She was going to end up on the street. And that, that was just a level of absurdity. She was a good example of just a normal person with borderline personality disorder. One of the things about people with borderline personality disorder is that they often their lives are marked with this self-loathing. And sometimes that self-loathing 
manifests itself through them hurting themselves in terms of, you know, they might cut themselves or they might burn themselves. But another type of self-harm is doing things that a person knows are really dangerous for them. For instance, this person had diabetes and would insist on eating really bad food, like processed, not just processed and processed is one thing, but I mean, like really, you know, the worst kind of foods you should eat, lots of sugar and, and these kind of things. And it became obvious to me after a little while that that was purposeful. So how does this relate to Jeffrey Dahmer? Because the truth is I could keep talking about this for a long time, but we want to talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. I saw in several places where he was diagnosed as having borderline personality disorder. Let's think through this. <laughs> so here we've got a guy who apparently is a master in this superficial charm, gets people who he just met to go to his house. I mean, I guess if you go out to a club and you meet somebody and they go home with you, you I mean, I guess how charming you are is debatable, but he was taking them to eat them, to kill them and eat them. I mean, he knew that this was going to happen. Even if he said that he was afraid they would leave, afraid they wouldn't want to, I mean, that's all... That might even be true, but that's the nonsensical stuff that their brain does to try to justify whatever terrible thing they did. That's all accurate in retrospect. Like afterward, you go, oh, you know what? I bet I thought they were going to leave. In the moment, we know what we're going to do. When we're not supposed to do something, it is not a mystery that it happens. I have a little bit of an issue with my weight. I've been working on that. And if I'm going to eat something I know is bad, I might afterward try to justify how I got there. And I mean, that can actually be very helpful to analyze. But the truth is there's a moment before it happens where I know that's what's going to happen. And it's not a mystery. So he knew that he was taking these guys home to do that. And yet he still was able to convince many. And I go back to that story of convincing the police that the guy who he had kidnapped and tried to murder was in a situation where he needed to go back with Jeffrey Dom. That has to be, I don't know what to call it. I mean, I want to say smooth because I mean, that's, that is really impressive to, to be able to pull that off, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad what he was doing. The person who has this superficial charm. Now we know, I know tons of charming people who are just really charming people. Every person I know who sells real estate, there's a personality you have to have to be successful at something like that. And so in order to do that, you have to have a personality that's kind of like, Hey, Steve, how's it going? They're excited to see me. That's part of their thing. They don't have a personality disorder. <laughs> I mean, they might, but as a rule, I don't, I don't typically see that. They simply are expressing the personality that fits really well into their role. Okay. So with Dahmer though, he was charming enough to not only get these guys interested and back to his apartment. I would got to think that's not the hardest job, but when it became clear that things weren't safe, he got them to stay and at some point incapacitated them. So for somebody who is bright and they have this kind of unstable, but super charming personality, they can find themselves in a lot of hot water because human beings are naturally attracted to supporting the wishes of people who are good looking and smart and whatever else, whatever other things you want to say, that is part of their MO. I look at politicians and, you know, some politicians have where their supporters were almost cult-like in their devotion. So I would say that for Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean, I hate to say this, this, I 
guess the guy's dead and he was a serial killer. So I guess, I mean, it's not about being mean, but it seems like the only interesting part about Jeffrey Dahmer was the fact that he murdered and ate people. It doesn't seem like he did a lot else that for, for our purposes is very interesting, but it was clear that having this personality disorder gave him a lot of opportunity. And then having borderline personality disorder, he would not have many, if any, stable long-term relationships. And so people wouldn't notice, you know, how many different men he was meeting or anything abnormal. There's a real advantage in not being the kind of person that people get to know because then they can't notice anything weird about you. Well, I mean, if your weird stuff is that you, you know, you go out in your underwear on the, to get your newspaper, you know, on the front porch, I mean, that's, you know, not that big a deal. But if your weird thing is, you know, you take men home and you butcher them and consume them, that's that's bigger. That's a bigger thing. How does one get a personality disorder? At other times, we will talk about attachment um, much more thoroughly. Attachment is the ability to bond. We are programmed genetically to bond with our primary caregiver, who is most commonly our mother. Of course, there's a whole lot of qualifiers in that statement. You know, if your mother died or your mother abandoned you, you can be perfectly healthy if other caregivers stepped in at the right times. It appears that there is a genetic predisposition among some people, maybe maybe even a large number, I mean, I don't think at this point we really know, that the primary influence to develop a personality disorder is severe insecurity leading all the way up to abuse as a very, very young child, like infant and toddler, newborn to three-year-old. You know, you don't really verbalize, you know, mom takes care of me, dad takes care of me, but you know, and remember we talked about just a minute ago that relationships last because we get to where we, we kind of know, we kind of count on somebody to behave the way they behave. But the ability to do that and have that consistency comes from growing up in an environment that was relatively stable. Now, not everybody who comes from an unstable environment is going to have a personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder makes up one-ish percent of the population. So, I mean, it, it's not simply, oh, they had an unstable parent, now they have a personality disorder. The issue comes out, though, that we should see this type of behavior stretching back into early childhood. So if somebody is stable and calm and then in their 20s, something terrible happens to them, they may get an anxiety disorder, but their personality, who they are, is, remains intact. Again, it can be battered, you know, if it's if it's a trauma's bad enough. And I I don't want to minimize that part of it. But as far as having a personality disorder, the behavior really has to go back to early childhood. So we would expect to see um, a child who their needs are not being met. And if you think about a baby, most of their needs, yes, they need to be fed, they need to be clothed, but most of their needs are emotional. I don't know who has and hasn't had kids, but all of my kids have had times where they just needed to get hugs or just know that mom and dad were there just to know that. It surprised me that he had been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder instead of psychopathy because he murdered but you start looking at the types of relationships that he got into that led to murder and i it becomes spooky clear that that actually fits quite nicely all right hopefully i added something to the discussion without a lot of repeat over what other people have said about jeffrey dahmer and i will see everyone next time 
Thank you for spending time with The Lonely Guy. In addition to Lonely Guy with a Book, Steve has podcasts Losing Weight with The Lonely Guy, Theories of Adulting, From the Beginning, a Doctor Who Review, and a complete review of the Arrowverse universe with his beautiful wife, The Lonely Gal. If you want to read Steve's column, you can find that on medium.com with the username at MYLDSBooks. If you'd like to reach Steve, you can reach him at MYLDSBOOKS. That is MYLDSBooks at gmail.com. Until next time, signing off.